Hi, my name is Evelyn Thompson, and this is Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Welcome to Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast, where we highlight the strength of our city, the spirit of our people, and share your stories of compassion. Welcome back to another episode of Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. I'm your host, Will Rucker, and I thank you for listening. Before we join today's episode, I've got a question for you. Have you affirmed the Charter for Compassion? If not, head on over to our website, compassionatelv.org, check out the Charter, and affirm it today. Also, if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast and leave a five-star review. Your review and rating helps others to find this podcast and helps to further our mission to make Las Vegas a more compassionate place to live, work, and play. Now, today's guest has been sharing compassion for years. Evelyn Thompson graduated from University of Southern California, USC, with a Bachelor's of Science in Public Policy and Development. She received her professional spiritual practitioner license at the Agape University of Transformational Studies and Leadership in Los Angeles, California in the year 2000. She was co-director of Agape's Peace Ministry for three years, where projects included participation in the Season for Nonviolence, a film festival and community summit focused on the Forgiveness Councils in South Africa with the South African Consulate. She also served in the prison ministry, participating in workshops with inmates. Earth Spirit Agape, an environmental ministry, Hand to Hand, Feeding the Homeless, the Adoption Triad, and many others. She is a public speaker, workshop facilitator, and writer addressing multiculturalism, race, adoption, adult survivors of child abuse, and more. She was a facilitator of universal principles, new thought, ancient wisdom, teachings, spiritual practices, self-mastery, and practical mysticism at Agape University. She completed additional studies at the Institute of Ancient Mysteries with extensive spiritual work in Egypt, Peru, Kenya, and the U.S. She sees private clients, facilitates meditation classes, and writes about healing from childhood trauma. Evelyn is currently residing right here in Las Vegas and serves as an adjunct workforce instructor for CSN's Division of Workforce and Economic Development, teaching the Community Health Workers course, where she is frequently a guest speaker for mindful self-care. Over the last several years, she presented mindfulness as professional development for many community organizations, including CNS, the City of Las Vegas, Nevada Department of Corrections, Florence McCure Prison, and other local nonprofits. She is currently a full-time student in UNLV's Masters of Urban Leadership program, where she is integrating her background into a legacy mindful leadership project with Nevada Partners. You are really in for a treat today. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Evelyn. I am so excited about our conversation. We've already had a great talk so far, so this is just going to be one of those episodes that I think is going to rock the world with compassion. So thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me, Will. Absolutely. So my first question I ask every guest, and I've spent a lot of time crafting this and really making it something deep and profound, yet immensely simple. And it's this, who are you and how do you define compassion? Well, I'm Evelyn. Um, and as we talked about it, I, I've done a lot of things in my life. So answering that question I don't look at it just as what I do as a job because I've had 50 million jobs. Um, so if I answer it from the spiritual sense, I'm a spiritual being having a human experience and I really embody embracing as much of this life as possible. So depending on who you talk to from what period of life, what city or where I've lived in, you're always going to get a different answer except for maybe the people that have known me over the decades. So um in the words of the great Chaka Khan, I'm every woman. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And that's a great song, too, by the way. Awesome. And so, Evelyn, how do you define compassion? Ooh, um, I can uh, define compassion as 
one of those words that's actually undefinable. I think we, it, it's like the word love, it, it's uh, used so much in society, depending on what culture or wherever. So for me, it is the deepest regions of my heart, not the physical heart, but of the heart and soul of me that's connected to the higher source and that ability to connect and uh you know it's a tough one to, to get into simple simple terms but um that part of me that is a hundred percent out of judgment with every other human and living being on this planet i think that's a excellent way to encapsulate compassion and you're right it is so far beyond a mere definition that uh, but you did a good job still giving us was so thank you now tell us tell us what you've been up to for really your life the past 30 years in this space of mindfulness and meditation oh thank you my past 30 years <laughs> which which i've been on this planet way longer but as far as the mindfulness and meditation i will say that i came to it um, um we're going to get to this later and of, of the projects that i'm currently working on but as i look back over the years and I'm, I'm sure many people can relate to this i've been practicing mindfulness uh and meditation before i had the words to as the description or definition of what it is and what i mean by that is i was an odd child i was out laying on the ground i grew up in pittsfield massachusetts and i grew up laying on the ground uh at, at night after night in the summertime just staring at the stars by myself just wondering about life hmm. it was and i i was really attracted a lot to egypt I, I tried to decipher the hieroglyphics. So I said, as I said, I was I spent a lot of time alone as a child. Um, I'm now, also where did you grow up? Pittsfield, Massachusetts, in the Berkshires. Okay. No, Let me be very clear: the west side of Massachusetts, not Boston, the complete opposite side of the state. I like to make oh, sure that God. we are on the map, so not Boston. <laughs> so everybody don't go to Boston. Don't say, "Oh, from Boston, Pittsfield." Um, so I'm also an adult survivor of. Uh, childhood abuse. And so that eventually was what led me to my, I will say my um, spiritual pursuit and awakening. And I, eventually in my 30s, I ended up uh, studying metaphysics. And after that, I ended up in a Egyptian mystery school and traveling around the world and really getting into mindfulness and meditation. So for me, it was that journey uh, that was the answer of my heart's call to deal with trauma from my past. Yeah, wow. That's, I mean, that's a lot right there. For those that may not have a concept of mindfulness or meditation or may have a wrong concept of it or a outdated, how do you explain what it really is? So I like to make the distinction. So when I speak or when um, I am teaching in classes or when I'm doing workshops, the first question I always ask everybody else is, what is their idea or definition of mindfulness and meditation. I have evolved over the years to uh, the work that I'm doing now is it is a deeply personal practice because no one else can be in my heart and soul and, and have either the awakening or the experience or the insights that I can have. And as we said about trying to define the word compassion, putting words onto something that often is such a a heart awakening to me has been it, it can be very challenging so um mindfulness my ex my experience at least here in vegas most of my uh work has been in los angeles around mindfulness and meditation um that's where i got my uh, spiritual practicing uh, uh license i'm a spiritual counselor licensed spiritual counselor which has studied four years with that for oh, that wow. um so there's a lot in my journey of getting here but to but to come back to your question um mindfulness is often only associated with buddhist training most often the other one a lot of people um deepak chopra has a center and a lot of people have been um uh, certified through there the work that i'm doing is i honor everyone's journey and everyone has this inside. And so for me, it's more important than I studied with so-and-so and I studied with so-and-so to honor the self. So the mindfulness part to me is that 
my willingness to come 100%, bring my attention 100% in the present moment, in, in times where I want to be reactive, that I can be responsive or even proactive. Whereas the meditation for me is, it's, they're both mind disciplines, mind for me meaning heart, not, not the physical brain. And I, I think that's that one thing. Yeah, because there's a, now in the academic world, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, there's a lot of acceptance going on, say in the biomedical field and definitely in the psychology field, in the cognitive behavior and mental health field. For me, that there, it's, it's far more than that. And a lot of it is, of course, because of my deeply personal journey with this. So the mindfulness, an easy way that I, I explain it to people, right now, like right now, I stop, drop, and I take three breaths. I can bring myself immediately into a mindful moment. Each moment becomes, can become a practice and lead to different choices and decisions, especially people that are dealing with trauma or I've, I've done this in the prison population, et cetera. The meditation is the ability to, to sit and not quiet the mind. So many people that talk to me is like, I can't shut off my thoughts. That's not it. It's the disciplining of those thoughts. It's not like I work out, right? You don't jump in the gym and just lift a bunch of weights. You build up to that. So the mind, the meditation part for me is in the quiet space, however long or short that may be, I've done it hours or as short as a few minutes, that I correct, that I consciously connect with the source. I call it the creative source. People call it God. People call it all kinds of things, depending on what culture or religious background. Um, for, for people that have been in my space that um, are atheists, to me, you have no less of a connection uh, just because I don't believe in God the way someone else does, doesn't make anyone uh, have the inability to practice mindfulness or meditation. So for no, me, I think it's, that's it's, fascinating with the with an atheist engaging in this practice because up until this moment, this has really been a spiritual conversation, and spirituality yes. is typically associated with a higher power or God or you know something of that sort. But earlier, you mentioned honoring the self. And I think that's something an atheist or agnostic or humanist could certainly connect with. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Yes, I can. And um, I've had some students that I've been in this discussion with. And I think that the first time I really, other than myself, I mean, during my search from when I was very young to where I got that, that aha hit, like, oh, the heavens opened up and like, oh my God, I am part of something way bigger than my very own self. Mm-hmm. So I've sat with a lot of people over the years and many, many years ago, as I was talking to a, a friend and a colleague that was an atheist, um, I found it, I found this person to have, to demonstrate far more compassion in deeds, in work and in heart than a lot of people that I have known. And when I say religion, I just don't mean Christianity. I've been blessed to meet people from all walks of life in so many different cultures and beliefs, et cetera. And what I learned from that particular person was when we want to label stuff with the the words and the definitions and all of these things that we use to separate ourselves, an atheist, by virtue of the fact that they exist, for me, are no less human than anyone else. And recently I had someone ask me, as recently, when I say recent, like within the last week, Um, if I don't believe in God, does that mean dot, dot, dot? I I won't Mm -hmm. finish that. And my answer was, what does your heart tell you? What, how do you see yourself? What kind of person are you evil because you don't believe in God? So for me, those are none of my concerns. If you're in front of me, we automatically have a connection. Um, and, and that's how I own, I, I own my world. So you're no less a living being that's animated by something greater than myself, but that's not for me to tell anyone. So in the mindfulness practice, 
if I am truly, this is, again, I own my words. If I am truly practicing mindfulness, how can you being an atheist, not you will, of course, but you, whoever you are, being an atheist, be a threat to me. I love you as myself, as with any other living creature. So let's pause there. Right now, COVID-19 has taken over not just our space, but our world quite literally. So I think there are a lot of people out there who haven't considered higher powers or gods or spirituality who are looking at that now. This practice of mindfulness, as you mentioned, is really a heart practice and a disciplining of the mind. This is something that is an invaluable tool for all of humanity right now, because frankly, the world is overwhelming. There are so many different things that we're grieving, whether it's the loss of loved ones, employment, or simply our way of life or the illusion that life will always be as it's always been. How can we practically engage in mindfulness as beginners? Let's, let's just say we've never tried this before and this has brought this idea into our consciousness. What should we start with? Well, the first thing I start with, and I will ask you, do you breathe? Uh, I try to. <laughs> <laughs> do you tell yourself to breathe? I don't tell myself, it just happens. So that's a trick question I, in every workshop that I do, I bring that up. Um, because I, I, it's a trick question. Of course I don't tell myself to breathe. Now conscious breathing, which is in alignment to me with mindfulness practices, but if I had to tell myself to breathe, I'd be dead because I would forget, right? We, and we have to go to sleep. However, without breathing, we don't live. So in terms of starting a mindfulness practice, how do I bring my attention uh, to this now moment? Eckhart Tolle had a book that was out many years ago called, uh, oh goodness, here I am, Now. Yeah, I am, I am butchering the name um, because I'm, I'm really bad at names. But anyway, it was out a very long time ago. <laughs> I am too. It's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll so, put the description put in the description. <laughs> we'll put the description. Yeah. So it seemed like everybody in, the, in Los Angeles, where I was at that time, had this book. I want, I want to say Practice in the Presence, but now it was in the title somewhere, and it was by Eckhart Tolle. Um, the point being is if you're a beginner, the very first thing, two things. Okay. Here's one, two, three. One, stay out of judgment. Two, keep your mind open. Three, all you don't need to do anything. You don't need to buy anything. You don't need to go anywhere. Your breath, trust me, is with you in any given moment. So four, intention. So for a beginner, all I have to do, and we could do it right now, there is Let's something going something's going on you know let's say COVID. It, the amount of fear being generated behind this is mind-boggling can i step away for three breaths if you're addicted to the news uh a lot of people i'm sure it's going to be a phrase later the COVID weight gain you know gaining the COVID weight uh COVID isolation people are going crazy um a number of people, when I say that, figuratively going crazy, feeling isolated because they're locked in their house. They can't par uh, participate in life the way they've always been able to. Just stop. Can I, are you willing right here, breathe in deeply, just slow everything down in really deeply. Three deep breaths. Second one. And then one more time, the third one. Just reset. So when all of the madness feels like it's closing in and I feel completely powerless, whatever your belief, whatever it is, if you go through all the ancient uh, indigenous cultures, ancient beliefs, all of them involves some sort of breathing and some sort of honoring of the heart and connecting deeply 
with ourselves. Then, after I've stopped and breathed for just three deep breaths, it helps me have a different perspective, just enough to, if it's something in the moment, to shift just a little bit. And that ultimately doing that over and over becomes a practice. Mm. I mean, that sounds so simple. And having taken a moment to breathe with you in that, I can give you a testimony. I can testify. It does work. It does reset that central nervous system. I think we are so accustomed to constantly being on high alert that when we do find ourselves in a moment of relaxation, we almost don't know what to do. And that can, in a sense, create some anxiety because we're like, wait a minute, where's the other shoe? What's about to happen next? Why, why don't I have a Facebook alert that, you know, you mentioned the news addiction. I think we have a lot of them where we're just, well, who's liked my post today? Who made a comment? What, what impact does that have on the mind, that constant attention to the news and to our Facebook feeds and things of that nature? So again, um, I like to distinguish that I work with people's own intuition. I, I am a, I'm a, huge proponent in developing what is uniquely yours. And as I said, it was deeply personal. So I want to, I want to preface that with what I'm going to say next, because yes, there is science now. Yes, there is the psychological analysis. And, and that for me is not the foundation of what I'm out there doing. Having said that, um, the preoccupation with those, with say social media, with the news or anything else, or like just, just like any other addiction, takes my mind away from being able to be present. So therefore, if I am watching, if I can watch the news and not be affected, then okay, then that's not your thing. Just like everybody that has a drink of alcohol is not automatically an alcoholic. So therefore, it, am I, am I, um, is my attention so much on something that I am incapable of stopping like what we did and just bringing my attention to a present moment? What is the present moment? It's not even five seconds in the past and it's not five seconds in the future. But we live in a culture uh, where people, um, mysterious they, people, profit off of fear. Buy this pill, buy this car, buy these clothes, buy this, buy this. We are a consumer society. If all, if I don't participate in all these things, which automatically take me in the future, then I, I'm, 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 I cannot be present. And being present, we hear that a lot. Now there's a lot of psycho speaker, a lot of meditation speak. There are tons of apps. That's wonderful. But am I intentional? Am I willing to just be fully aware of a present moment instead of the past that I need to overcome and a future that's not even here yet? That's huge. And in this moment, with this pandemic, which of course has triggered economic collapse and of course so much loss of life, just incalculable, not just direct deaths, but those that died because of things being delayed. And we can go into all of these, you know, these these chains that follow it. It's hard to be in the present. And it's you're almost being drawn both directions because you're you're remembering what was, and of course, we always romanticize the past and the grass is always greener yesterday. But now we're also considering the first is coming up and my unemployment hasn't come yet. My my company furloughed me, but I, I don't have anything coming up. So we're being pulled really in two directions and that's hard. Now you mentioned, of course, this is your personal view, but I, I want folks to know this is something you're actually studying and uh, you do have data that supports these ideas. Talk to us just a little bit about the current program that you're in and how it can be used to help people to center in the present? So the program that I'm in, I'm at UNLV. So my undergraduate, uh, undergraduate degree um, was from the University of Southern California in, in Los Angeles. And that was um, public policy and development. And now here I am many, many, many years later, um, 
a few and days, it's, not too many. <laughs> it's come full circle because I am now in the urban leadership uh, program at UNLV, which is a pretty new and innovative program. I've worked many years ago, I worked in politics. I'm actually getting to you. I've worked in politics in the 80s. I worked in a lot of different areas. Um, what I notice now is there's a pretty, pretty basic acceptance that there's something to this whole mindfulness thing. I was drawn to this program because the, the program itself, the, the, the leadership there, are looking for new and innovative ways to approach policy, government, and leadership in our cities because if you look at a lot of data, the, the, the great divide in the country is, is greater than it ever has been and, and quite a shock and surprise to a lot of us that, that here we are at 2020. Um, yeah. If the, the COVID situation is, is bringing a lot of stuff to the surface that say maybe many of us knew were there, but now everyone knows what's going on. That's so true. If one could say that's a silver lining, so to speak, because we can't heal things that we can't become aware of. I don't even want to say see, right? Mm -hmm. So um, what I decided to do with, with my project, and I think we were talking offline about this, I'm kind of coming at it from the other way. I have all these years of experience and I'm, I'm bringing them into this degree project, which we have to do, a, um, our legacy project is a community project. So I am bringing that into the public leadership and nonprofit realm. A lot of the research that I'm using um, comes from nonprofit burnout, which is, is really huge. So you end up with a lot of turnover. Uh, the self-care from, from, uh, from caregivers is usually the last thing on their list. So without our conscious leadership caring for ourselves, we end up with everybody burnt out and stressed out. The other part of that is with conscious leadership, I really and truly, I, and I know I've lived this, I've seen it, I've, I don't need the, the facts and the data. We could sit here all day talking about the science behind it. But for me, science is the discovery. When I get into these scientific conversations, I'm like, 100 years ago in medicine, you gave somebody a leather strap, a shot of whiskey, excuse me, shot of whiskey first, a leather strap, and you commenced to saw off a body part until we learned better. And as we learn better, we do better and we grow and we shift. So that's how I see science is the discovery. So as far as the work that I'm doing, to bring this back to your original question, um, I am, I am bringing into the public leadership space. Imagine one conscious leader and how many lives that, that leader touches. And I know you're already doing this work as well. And we've talked about people coming together. When I say conscious or compassionate, since we started with the word compassionate, I think a lot of people, I know a lot of people see that as woohoo, airy fairy or kumbaya or hippie. It's very real, and I've lived this in my own life. The more compassionate I can be, which is not, does not to say that I look at everybody as a victim, and therefore I'm better than you because I'm going to show you what to do with your life. It, it, it's not that. It is, I honor your power, your own wisdom, your own intuition. And in cultivating that, that then helps shine a light for other, for other people to be ignited and rise. So the distinction that I'm making in the work that I'm doing is cultivating this, this again, going back to the heart, and then sharing that in, the, in a community can, can absolutely change the world, unequivocally change the world. I've been holding on to the edge of my seat since you said two words, and those words are, drum roll please, conscious leadership. I am just 
Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear you say that because it is so important. Leadership is where all of this really begins. And we can talk about flattening the hierarchy pyramid and all of that, which I think that when you say, you know, all the way down the, the line, that, that's not good leadership because leadership should be supportive and all of that. But anyway, this conscious leadership term really gets me going because it, it speaks volumes on a number of levels. And I'm glad that you brought in the compassionate leadership piece as well, because a lot of people view compassion as being soft or not having a ROI to it. And what we're seeing now is leadership matter, matters, loyalty that is, is created through authentic leadership, not through fear, but through real leadership matters, and that people are willing to do more when they trust you. But when they don't trust leadership, chaos ensues. Now, what did you mean by conscious leadership? Because I want to dive into that term. Um, what you said, and I really believe the, the, the time that we're in is, is a, in some circles you'll hear it, new energy, new earth. Um, given that the pandemic is global, I will say then there's an opportunity for new leadership and an openness to it that people in mass have not maybe have not been open to. So conscious leadership to me is purposeful, intentional, kind, acknowledging all of those great adjectives that maybe prior to now people wouldn't have wanted to say in corporate circles or in business circles. However, as you said, a lot of, a lot of this is measurable now. For instance, in, 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 um, in the area that I'm studying, nonprofit burnout, for example, um, I don't have those statistics directly in front of me because uh, I, I wasn't thinking about that in this conversation. However, there's a lot of research and we don't have to go far to find it. Um, retention. If you if you have uh, people in the workplace now, it's become kind. Of, it was before the before the COVID situation a badge of honor. Oh, I'm sick. I go to work. I work 80 hours a week. Um, I remember I lived in Tokyo in in early 90s. Uh, that was before the states took over this badge of honor thing. And when I lived in Tokyo at at that time, it was a similar thing. I worked so hard. The, the, the prevailing cultural uh, norm was just work so much that in Tokyo, they had little tube hotels uh, down in the city for people that worked all the time. They barely went home. And somewhere over the years, the, you know, the states took that on. So the very real part of that for me then is, here it is. I was trying to get to a very succinct answer. Am I willing as a leader to acknowledge the humanity in the people that I lead? Period. And what does humanity mean? There, as we started the conversation with, there are so many aspects to being a human being. We are not robots. We are not the technology that, that's being developed. We claim that we're at the, the top of the food chain in the, in the animal kingdom because of our consciousness. Leadership must start practicing this, and to me, in a very real way, if we want to preserve humanity. Am I willing to acknowledge the humanity? That's huge. And I think that you're absolutely right. In this moment, we have to have that conversation because everywhere you turn, you see, well, if you feel sick, if you have these symptoms, please stay home, go home, get out of here, <laughs> you know, because we're forced to. But really, that's something why I'll, I'll admit I'm a, I'm a germaphobe and a bit OCD and all of these things. And when I discovered what was not happening in my favorite hotels, I freaked out. I'm like, you mean they weren't already doing this? They how, how is that possible? But again, we've been so focused on profit that we've forgotten about people. And so one thing that I hope to influence is that instead of measuring our success as a nation by our GDP, 
we gross domestic product, we measure it by our gross domestic happiness. And so mm. how are we as a people? How, how are the, the relationships in the individual homes? Do neighbors speak to each other? Do people show up at your city council meeting and smile at you? <laughs> like, is it just protest every time or are they like there to say thank you for the work you've done? All of these things, I think it produce a better, more sustainable result. And it does start with conscious leadership, simply being aware that we're all human. And I love what, as I heard you say conscious leadership again, I wanna be very clear about that. If I don't see it somewhere else, then be the conscious leader in my own life. Yes. Um, too often we're looking, so when I talk about conscious leadership, yes, we can say corporations and organizations and those that lead others, however, if I don't, if I am unwilling to cultivate that within myself, I will never be able to be able to uh, inspire or cultivate that anywhere else. So the work that I'm really focused on, although it's broadly speaking, talking about leadership, it really is, for instance, the programs that I'm developing, it's about everybody being able to take a retreat, right? Retreats aren't just for the wealth, although I'm, I'm not going to argue with going over to a beautiful destination and, and all of that. Yeah, I'm that's with fabulous. <laughs> but yeah, but, but what about maybe people that right now can't do that? That doesn't mean everyone's a lost cause. Everyone has that same consciousness within inside of us. How can I then bring the exotic, exciting retreat right here, wherever you are? And that's that's part of what my project is. I love that. And one thing you mentioned is, and I'll do a shameless plug here, the hashtag at the bottom of the screen says, be the change. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Leadership starts with us as individuals. We have more power than we give ourselves credit for, particularly over our own lives. That's why that stopping to breathe is so powerful because you can literally <laughs> shut out the world for a moment and travel anywhere in the universe for those three breaths. And you can put yourself on a luxury beach or the mountaintop or with loved ones. You can hold your loved ones in your heart or in your hand. It's all of these things within our power and our control. And we have to acknowledge that and be the change we want to see. And so I want to add to that because often, and I know because I did it, I have been a skeptic. It doesn't seem it today. And I, I tell my husband that I, I got married a few years ago. So I got married very late in life. I'm like, you get to see the the result of the world. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I have lived in those places of struggle, of not knowing where, a, not a penny in sight. Um, and you mentioned earlier, people are dealing with this. It's a real thing. A lot of people maybe that never imagined in their lifetime they would be dealing with. Where do I get the rent money? How do I eat? How do I live? And this is where the real work is. It's fine and dandy to say I'm kumbaya and I'm mindful when everything's rolling well. But I guarantee you, it was a mindful practice that got me out of the struggles of my life and to deal with the trauma from my childhood. So when I talk about this, I'm not talking about it as a person um, saying, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sitting on the mountaintop in, 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 a, in my mansion, nothing wrong with that. But I'm saying for people, if I were watching this and I was struggling right now, I'm gonna tell you this, it costs nothing to breathe. I don't mm. have to buy anything to breathe. And I, and I guarantee you in that, you start making space for other things to occur, but we must breathe, continue breathing consciously, and we must be intentional. There is no way I am gonna get out of my struggle if I keep perpetuating the fear. So in other words, in this present moment, right in this minute, if I am breathing and watching this, right this second, nanosecond, I'm safe. I'm alive, I'm okay in this second. Now let's change the next second. And those seconds start adding up that eventually become that hour. And if I can only get that hour change, that is enough. 
So I want to be really, really clear about that. People, again, um, I've noticed uh, that over the years there's a big shift in opening um, for this. And as you talked about GDP, if all our attention is on, and we see where it's gotten us, on material wealth and material well-being, and we leave, um, I'm pointing to my heart here, and we don't bother with this, well, we're, we're, we are going to be paralyzed, and, and it won't matter how many billions of dollars I have. Yeah. I think it's so fascinating that this virus caused us to think about our breath. And what did we have to produce? Respirators. So this idea of conscious breathing has become really real. It's no longer this ethereal metaphysical concept. It's like, no, my actual literal breath is at stake here. And if we expand that into the greater than realm, it really is, as, as the movie would say, God is trying to tell us something. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's color purple. Am I right on that? Oh, I am the worst to quote movies or names, as oh, we've Lord. already established. So no help. But we know you. it's no no help whatsoever, because I'm right here. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that this is is a opportunity that we have been gifted, and I am I'm not discounting the loss because I've suffered loss personally in this this epidemic. But I am looking at the opportunity and recognizing that we can create a brand new reality. One of the things that we've been talking about offline is reimagining Vegas. And of course, as a city, I think we have to reimagine in a way very few other places have to, because what are we? We are crowds, <laughs> we are tight spaces, we're all of these things that we simply cannot do anymore. And so we have to be imaginative and tap into that creative energy. So one of the very important things I want to talk about with this COVID situation, when you mentioned, um, you know, people passing, I, I've been touched as well. I had a, a, an old friend that I hadn't talked to, in fact, was in Detroit. And I was looking up something and he, he and his family were distinguished in L.A. as having this record shop that outlived everybody as far as a, a, a local vinyl record shop. So he oh, was known nice. for that. Yeah, and um, DJ, uh, David Reed, rest in peace. And he passed of the COVID situation. What I want to make sure uh, that everyone knows is it's important to acknowledge the pain that people are going through. When leadership, I will mention no names, doesn't do that, people feel it. So I want to make sure that everyone understands that as I'm talking about this breathing and talking about how to recenter and how to move forward, that never replaces going through the grief that anyone is dealing with. And that grief could be from the passing of a loved one or someone close to relationships. There's so much that's wrapped up that's being touched during this time. Yes. I will say, having dealt with um, uh, death and grieving in a lot of instances in my life. That is the exact time that the invitation to be mindful can serve you most. So it's still that same thing. It, those three deep breaths then can offer a respite from the grief. Not that it replaces it and not that anyone can ever tell you how to grieve or how long. And when I say that, my um, nephew passed many years ago. And my sister, it took her about seven years of people saying to her, you should be over it by now. Don't ever let someone take that from you. Your journey is your journey. And the mindfulness practice in that can be that one space or sliver for peace as you're going through a grieving process. So as people are dealing with this, the death during the COVID time, I in no way wanna make light of that or forget to mention that, that having compat that is when compassion for the self is most important. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, a lot of times when a loved one passes, the, the guilt starts overriding the grief and that becomes the focus. And just self-forgiveness, is huge. 
I could go on and on about that, but I just want to make sure for anyone suffering right now, um, dealing with death, we don't talk about it enough in this culture, I don't believe. When I say culture in the United States, we put our our elders and homes often and we we don't want to deal with it until it's time to make funeral plans and then other things arise. Those same three breaths can help you if you're dealing with something that is just unimaginable. And that self-compassion is, is so important. And feeling that feeling is okay. And I, I'm glad that you've given us permission to grieve. What I've noticed in my social media, my conversations, is that people are just textbook grief cycle, but they don't necessarily recognize that they are grieving. And so the, they go into denial. This isn't real. This, is, this isn't for real. This is not really happening. They get angry and they want to blame. And, you know, the whole cycle, like textbook. So thank you for sharing that this is something we have to acknowledge and give ourselves permission to do without the guilt, without feeling like we should be stronger than this, without feeling like we've got to work and create something through this, but just being in that back to the center, back to the moment, back to the present. Absolutely. Well said. So that's my segue into your project and the creative energy behind that. Tell us a little bit about what you're, you're working on with this program and what we can expect to see come out of it. So it literally is a work in progress. So let me say that <laughs> I'm working on it. Uh, well, not, not this moment, but as we speak, um, it is a community project. I have partnered with Nevada Partners. If anyone has not heard of them, they are a nonprofit organization that really is a, a multi-agent co coalition of over 35 not local nonprofits dealing with all manner of health and human services and beyond workforce education. So Nevada Partners is currently um, working on a strategic plan for what is called the West Las Vegas Promise Neighborhood. So during, for those that don't know, during Obama's uh, administration, uh, there were areas of poverty that were identified across the country. And resources were allocated for certain, certain uh, literally zip codes, and they were called, and they are called Promise Neighborhoods. So that is the work that Nevada Partners is doing, and they have graciously allowed me to, Kennedy Cobbin Richards, I have to give her a shout out real quick, um, but they have allowed me to, I am now monitoring all of their strategic meetings, I am getting feedback from the stakeholders, and then I am developing a community pro mindful community leadership um, and mindful program that, that will be uh, complete and submitted at the end of this year. That would be December 2020. So um, again, that, that it, it's embracing a lot of stuff that we talked about and putting to a multi-level tier that would be available from leadership, from political leadership, uh, to frontline staff, and as I've been talking with more and more people, also for the clients, because there are many, many, many community leaders, which is the work that I do in teaching the community health worker class at the College of Southern Nevada. And what I find there is so many community everyday heroes, like we're hearing now about the medical community, but there are everyday heroes in communities on the front lines advocating um, in their own just just from their heart just because and so i work with a lot of people from a lot of different communities so as i'm designing this mindful program it literally will be a, a multi-tiered program the data will be there in the outcomes um but the heart of it pardon the pun the heart of it literally is about uh facilitating everyone's own intuition so that back to what we keep saying will is to have a more compassionate loving planet i love it absolutely love it how can people connect with you well i'm redoing my website so they can't go there right now <laughs> so you can reach me at at my email which is ethilbert1 at gmail.com so that's e evelyn t tom hilbert h-i-l-b-e-r-t and the number one at gmail.com. Perfect. 
Well, I thank you again for joining the podcast and for helping us to breathe and to be present in this moment. It has been such a pleasure. I am so excited for what you are doing and what will be the result of it because of your dedication and your passion. And we didn't even get to talk about the Egyptian spirituality because I'm going to ask you about that offline a bit. Um, it's just so fascinating. Of course, Luxor, you know, I, I have to be equal to all properties on the strip, but I, if you know me, you know Luxor has a place in my heart. So you know, we'll have to talk about all of that. My last thing I want to ask is just in summary, in a sentence or two, how are you embodying compassion in Las Vegas and the world today? Ooh, one or two sentences. I would say I am embodying uh, compassion in Las Vegas today by being intentional and open with my heart. And one of the most important things that people that I like, I want everyone to understand, guilt gets us nowhere. So when I, and I, I, I make a lot of mistakes. So when, when you look at spiritual leaders and everybody, we think everybody, we are human beings. So how am I contributing? I will go back to, I accept my own humanity, flaws, warts, and all. But my heart is open and willing and always the goal to be compassionate. And we'll leave it there. Thank you. This has been Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Thank you for listening. This episode was made possible by the Jameson Foundation in partnership with the Moonridge Group. There are so many incredible things happening, and so many people have amazing stories to share. So if you are one of those people, this is your platform. Email me at will at winningwithwill.com. Use the subject line, Compassionate LV, and let me know your story. I would love to have you on the show or to feature your story in a future episode. Be sure to subscribe and if you haven't already, leave a five-star review. Your review and your rating helps others to find this podcast and helps to further the mission to make Las Vegas a more compassionate place to live, work, and play. Today, Evelyn encouraged us to be more compassionate to ourselves by not only accepting but fully embracing our humanity. Are you up for the challenge? What ideas do you have for being more compassionate? Tell me about them in your five-star review, and you just may hear them on the next episode. In case you didn't know, Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast, is now on YouTube. If you want to not only hear these awesome stories, but see the energy of our guests, subscribe to our visual podcast on YouTube. Just search Compassionate LV Podcast with Will Rucker, and the channel will pop right up. Love and compassion are not luxuries, they are necessities. Live the golden rule and treat others the way you would want to be treated. Together we can make a difference. Together we will make the world a more compassionate place. Know that you are not just a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. Be well, my friends, and we will meet again on the next episode of Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast.